All right, so today uh, we have a special treat for y'all. Courtney and Amy are going to be doing an interview um, on gender identity. So I will hand it over to y'all and Hey guys, how are y'all? Some of y'all are on Christmas break, not all of you though. Next week, who's on Christmas break already? <laughs> all the Providence people are like, ha ha. <laughs> oh. Well, it's good to see you guys. This is weird, like doing two weeks in a row. I've never done this before. Um, so last week, if you notice, I made kind of a little statement where I said I'm, I'm talking about a specific type of issue within gender dysphoria, which was the rapid onset gender dysphoria. We talked a lot about that. Um, that is just one component. And today we're gonna actually be talking about a different side of it. If you remember last week, I talked about the typical gender dysphoria manifest in early childhood. And so we're gonna actually be sharing a story um, from Amy Jimenez. Uh, she is our women's ministry director and she's going to be very brave today and talk about um, the perspective of walking through this with her daughter. Um, and so you're gonna hear a different type of story which I think is really helpful for us to kind of consider all the different facets of this issue and how God meets us and the gospel meets us in all of it. So. Um, can we welcome Amy here today, this morning? Thank you. <laughs> so um, I really appreciate you coming with us this morning. You and I met a while back in my living room and had this conversation. So I really wish we could really recreate it just minus Maple attacking you as you were talking to me. This is true. <laughs> so would you mind telling us just a little bit about yourself and your family? Not everyone may know some of your kids um, and then we'll dive on in. Sure. I'm so happy to be with you guys. Thank you for um, inviting me in. Uh, my name is Amy and I have been following Jesus since I was a very young girl. Um, Jesus has been uh, my everything, but my journey following him has, has shifted and changed quite a lot. And um, I think this is true for all of us. Um, it's a process following him. And so I hope to tell you some of that in my, in my story with my daughter. Um, I've been married to my husband, Raymond, for 25 years. He was in the Army, and so we, um, when we met, I was in physical therapy school, and he was at Fort Bliss in El Paso. And then we came here for our first assignment and um, here to Temple, to Fort Hood. And, um, and then we traveled all around and settled back here about 13 years ago. Uh, we have three kids. Our oldest that we're gonna talk about today, Hannah, she's 24 years old. She's about to turn 24. Um, she's married, she lives in Philadelphia. She is um, in grad school there. And then we have two younger sons that some of you might have intersected with um, a few years ago. Um, my son, Jacob, he is, um, he should be a junior in college. He sat out a year of COVID, so he's a sophomore, goes to school in Boston. And then our son, Jonah, is also a sophomore in Houston. And um, so they're, they're all thriving and doing well. We're trying to get used to life without them in the house. And, um, and then I've worked here at Temple Bible Church. I'm going on six years this summer, so I'm at about the five and a half year mark. And um, it's just been a real joy to be a part of this church family. Thank you. So where were you living at the time? I know you said that Raymond was in the military. Where were you living when Hannah was born? Um, and could you tell us a little bit about her, just 
what she was like as a young child, what her younger years were like before she began school. Sure. Well, we, we were actually stationed right here at Fort Hood when Hannah was born. So she was born, the hospital you can see when you walk out these doors, used to be King's Daughters Hospital. Uh, now it's McLean's children. Um, she was born there. And then we only lived here three months of her life, and then we launched off. Um, the Army sent us off. Um, so we traveled until she was in the fifth grade, um, multiple different places. Um, Hannah was a really interesting um, little girl. She was extremely strong-willed when she was born. I mean, it seemed like from the second she was born. Um, but, it, I mean, I know that developed a little bit. But she was just really, really intense. I mean, just intense about everything um, that those first couple of years. It wasn't until she was about two years old that I started noticing um, just some really different kind of um, expressions. I mean, as young as two, the girl just hated to wear dresses. And I mean, I just didn't think she had that much of an opinion at that time, but she did. I mean, she would throw a temper tantrum. <clears throat> and I'm not really a very girly girl, so I was always worried about this as a mother, and, and I wanted to try to put her in dresses. You know, that's what I thought society said I should do. Um, but she would throw a fit and be so angry, tried to put bows in her hair. She would scream and just rip them out, and as young, that early on. Um, and so, you know, definitely could tell, even at that age, this is before it really kind of became more noticeable. Uh, then when she was two and a half is when Jacob, her brother, was born, and um, that seemed to really trigger her. She, she was not thrilled at having um, a brother. She, she often asked me if I could just set him down for a minute so I could pick her up. That was a big deal to her. And something about that just triggered um, a lot of, uh, I mean, I struggle with this word because I talked to Hannah about this, and she doesn't want me to use too strong of words here, but she was just mean. She was very, very mean. Uh, to her little brother, and then by the time she was closer to five is when Jonah came along, and now it was just much more, she was just an intense kind of semi-violent in, in her behaviors, and this was just not normal. This was just not what other girls her age were demonstrating, and so this really stressed me out. This was yeah. hard for me. And you, you mentioned something about her hair. I know we're going to talk about some of that later, but just the bows in the hair that she would just really react to that. And when she got older and went into preschool, you saw these things begin to manifest as well. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, Hannah just, she really kind of took this public when she was three years old in a big way. Um, she was in preschool and they had a, a program for the preschool where they were gonna be um, dancing and singing for the parents. And all the boys were gonna be wearing top hats for this performance and all the girls were gonna be wearing tiaras. And I, I sent her in you know, with her teacher. Her teacher comes out to me in the audience and says, we are having a massive problem with Hannah. Um, she refuses to wear the tiara. She says that that is not, she is not wearing what the other girls are wearing. Um, she sees herself as a boy and she wants to be wearing the top hats like the boys. This is the first time anybody had ever said that to me in a public way. And um, of course, <clears throat> I don't know how to react. This is, this is our church, our church family, uh, we're the audience, and this is where she went to preschool. And so, you know, we just made a quick decision. Absolutely let her wear the top hat, whatever she wants to do, we've got to get her out here. But that was, that was really a, an indication that 
that she was now wanting to express this to other people. And when she was five, there was a significant event um, with her hair that kind of was on this trajectory that kind of began to play out for many years afterwards. What, what happened there with that? Yeah, so this, this kind of brings in some of my limitations. I want to make sure that I tell you that I did not handle all of these things very well um, for much of the time. And I, I just want to point to the grace of God um, in both of our stories. And Hannah wanted me to express this to you, too, that it's really not about how she or I behaved. Um, it's really the power of God at work in both of our lives um, that was really um, powerful for both of us in this experience. But when she was five and going into school, I was, like, taking it personally, her, the way she wanted to dress and the way that she wanted to, um, to present herself. I took it as an affront to, my, to me as a mother, which I, I really regret. But um, I wanted her, I wanted to set, show that she could look more like a little girl. And so she had crazy wild hair. She has really, really curly hair, and she never would put it up or in a, in a, in a bow of any kind. And so I thought a ponytail kind of is like a middle ground. Surely that's like, that looks kind of like a girl thing, but maybe that wouldn't bother her so much. And so I begged her to try to wear a ponytail to kindergarten. Little did I know that putting her hair up that first time would become an obsession for her. She would wear that ponytail until she was a freshman in high school. And when I say wear it, she would never, ever take it, take her hair out of a ponytail. Even when she would um, take a shower, immediately she would put it up before we could even dry it. Um, it, was, it became such an identity thing for her to have her hair pulled back really tight and away from her face. And I didn't, I didn't get it. And then it would become a big struggle for both my husband and I of trying to beg her to take it out sometimes. Um, and it just became kind of the thing that we would kind of argue over. And it became really, really challenging for, for us relationship. So how did she relate to boys versus girls? Um, did she ever make any overt statements about having a desire to be a boy? or? Um, it, this kind of evolved, but uh, yeah, that first, you know, that first day at that preschool performance, she said to her teacher she was a boy, but um, it started when she was in school, all, she wanted to only be friends with the boys. She wanted to only do the things that the boys wanted to do. She saw herself as fitting in there. And, um, and I was just hoping, wishing that she would, we could find some friends that were girls that would um, be a middle ground for her because she was just really black and white. It was just all boy or all girl. She, she was falling into the same stereotypes that, um, that we all think of, even that early on. Um, she, the way she dressed, she wanted to present to other people that she, that she was a boy. Um, she would say it um, to some people, um, not to everybody, because she started getting, you know, she started getting some more peer pressure, and especially pressure from me. Um, but she, yeah, she would say uh, to me that she feels like a boy, not like a girl. And, um, and I, I really struggled with how to, um, how to show her, uh, just that that was not something that we needed to make a decision about that early. She was a great, funny, um, extremely engaging kid. Um, she was so fun to be around, and I was wrestling so much with this identity issue that I was that at times I wasn't just enjoying this wonderful human being that God had given me. Um, 
to raise. So we, we struggled. Hannah and I went back and forth um, in counseling quite a bit during this time um, just to deal with our anger. Um, Hannah's anger really starts to jump up at this phase of her life. Um, just really, really never happy uh, in any environment. She always seemed angry. So at home, especially with her brothers, tons and tons of issues with them um, that both of them, both of her brothers um, have shared in different settings of the transformation in their, in their lives. But from this time, it was just really, really oppressive. And then the same at school. She was just, she never really, she struggled to fit in at school and, and found that very, very difficult. It began as she did enter into elementary school. You began to experience a lot of pressure, really on both sides of this issue. Could you kind of share some of those stories that began to happen? This was when you y'all were living in Jersey at the time, right? Yes. Okay. A, a lot of this. So Hannah went in. We, we moved to New Jersey when she was in the second grade. So second through the fourth grade, um, she was there, and these were very formative years and very, very. Um, intensely difficult for both of us. Um, she presented herself in a very um, kind of brutish way. She, she would speak with a very, very low register to her voice, and she would act really tough um, around her peers. And this bothered, this, uh, this disturbed her teachers in some ways. I mean, she wasn't, she never really did anything overtly violent in class, but um, but I had, we were up in the Northeast, and, and this is long before the pressures that you guys are experiencing now um, around this issue. So this was very unlike the South. But even her counselors um, in New Jersey were, ask, were coming up to me and asking if we would consider gender reassignment for her at the, at, in second grade, um, wanting me to, um, to test her testosterone levels and, and look into this because they just saw this as being a problem. And then the, the mothers um, were extremely brutal to me from second to fourth grade, just never um, accepting me, feeling somewhat blaming me for Hannah's behavior. Um, they thought that it was disruptive um, to, their, to their children. Um, some, some stood out, and I want to talk to you about them in a minute. But, yeah, I just felt a lot. I felt ostracized. And so, you know, I'm feeling all this pressure. Like, when I was... When I was young, I just didn't think I could be a very good mom to girls because of what I told you before about myself being just much more tomboyish most of my life. And so I took all of this upon myself. I just blamed myself for all of these, for all of these things, and it just was really eating me up inside as well. I was just feeling um, like a failure as a mother. And so these were hugely important. I'm about to tell you a couple of things that just um, really helped Hannah and me to just understand who we were in Christ. So. so a person in the church, I think it was, you said in second or third grade, she mm -hmm. began to reach out to Hannah during this time. Um, what was the significance of that? This was so huge. So we went to a, a really small church up in, in New Jersey. Very, very few Christian churches. Um, very few churches at all, but if there were churches, they were synagogues. Most people in our area were Jewish. And so just a handful of Christian churches. Our church had about maybe 100 members. <clears throat> and, um, but this was just a haven for both of us. Um, we, were, we were loved so well there. But there was this one point where I was just begging God, please, would you just put some, some female influences in Hannah's life? And this girl, your age, so 
somewhere in between, she was, she was 16 at the time, came up to me one Sunday after worship and said, hey, Amy, the, the Lord has just really put it on my heart uh, to reach out to Hannah, and I was wondering if it would be okay if I just spent some time with her and mentoring her and maybe taking her out for ice cream after school. And I just broke down. It just was weeping right there in that moment that the Lord was so gracious and used a teenager to, to intersect Hannah. And I mean, bless her in such huge ways. This, so Hannah's 23, almost 24, and this, this girl is still in her life. She's a young mom. Um, she's been a part of Hannah's life ever since this time. Um, invited Hannah to her wedding. Um, Hannah wasn't in the wedding, but long before Hannah, you know, kind of made some changes in her life, um, Whitney still wanted her a part of her of her wedding, and that was a huge, huge impactful moment for Hannah. Um, just a sweet, sweet mentor relationship. I just want to encourage you that you can be such an influence to um, to the adults in our church family um, by listening to the Spirit, following the Spirit, engaging in people that you know are hurting. So there was this beautiful moment that you shared with me um, that kind of involved school picture day with Hannah. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, this is the one. This is the moment that really kind of turned a switch for Hannah and me. Um, we would fight about what she wore all the time. We <clears throat> we spent a lot of time in counseling um, to try to come up with a compromise to how she would dress that was something that I could live with and she could live with. We would both have to agree on on what she wore. It, but it just was a fight, and you know, especially when we would go to church on Sunday. Um, that <laughs> I, I don't know why I made such a big deal about it, and I never would now. But um, you know, just, to, just trying to trying to dress it up a little bit for church was a, a struggle. Um, but anyway, this one picture day, she uh, I, I didn't even remember the moment at all. Um, she came in, and I was really stressed and busy getting everybody ready. And Hannah said, "What should I wear? What should I wear? It's picture day." And I told her, it, "You know, it just doesn't matter. I just." I, don't, I just don't want you to wear something really that has a lot of words on it on your shirt so that I can see your beautiful face. And then we went on with breakfast, and, and it was just a very quick moment. But later that day, um, we were in counseling together, and what we would do is we would go in, and she would go in with the counselor first, and I would sit out in the waiting room, and then we would switch places. Very rarely were we together um, with the counselor, but, but this day... Um, I was just outside for a few moments, and the counselor um, comes out to get me, and, and she says, um, Hannah would really like to say something to you. And remember that Hannah and I are struggling with just how to get along at this time. And so this was a breakthrough moment for the counselor. Um, so I go in, and, and Hannah is in tears, and she, and she says to me, uh, Mom, I just wanted you to know how much it meant to me you to say that you wanted to see my face in my picture uh, because I I don't usually feel like you see me and that really touched me I was I was a real mess in that moment but we both I think we both softened to each other in this regard and and that was a big pivotal moment for us what began to shift in her after that um Mostly, it was just a softening to me, as far as I could, I could see in her with her peers. Um, 
we started writing to each other. We had a journal that we would uh, we would write in at night. She would write something, and then I would respond back. And we just this was a way that we could share kind of more of how we were feeling about things. And Hannah started being much more frank and honest about kind of the pressure she was feeling at school. She was bullied quite a lot. Um, she asked me not to really share any of those private moments with you guys because they're so painful. But but she was starting to open up to me about about that bullying. And, um, and so I just felt like our relationship was tightening. But then she was engaging with, um, with people at church um, in new ways. Uh, I just, I can't tell you how important the church family, the family of God was for Hannah's development during all of this time. Um, she was just loved absolutely like she was in our church family. She had a, a lot of adults um, that spoke into her life, and nobody was trying to change her. I wasn't trying to change her. Counselor wasn't. Um, these wonderful people, including Whitney, that girl that mentored her, um, everybody just loved her as she was, and she started receiving that more. So she started engaging, and we were just finding kind of our our um, core existence was in the church where she felt loved, where she felt a part. Um, we did this thing called Pioneer Clubs at the time, which is kind of like a mix between scouting and Awana, and and the whole church was involved, and, and Hannah was just really involved with that and loved it and had friends that were, that were boys and girls um, during that time. So that was the biggest change, I think. So you talked kind of about biblical community being a big part of her faith during this time. How are some other ways? I know you had kind of told me about the experience when she was nine, um, when she came to you that night. How did faith begin to play a role in, in this issue in her of recognizing her need for God. Um, yeah. This is the thing that Hannah would want me to say the, the most strongly to all of you. Um, when I asked her about talking to you, she said, as long, Mom, as you just make, um, make God the focus of all of it, not me or you. Um, because it was really the Lord who, who came in and really took hold of Hannah's heart. Didn't change her, her presentation of um, how she dressed or how she... Um, wore her hair, but she came to me one night, and she just said, Mom, I just can't, um, I can't seem to get along with my brothers. I can't seem to find peace in my heart. I can't seem to be okay with myself, um, and I just need the Holy Spirit. She was nine years old when she said this, in tears, saying, I just need the Holy Spirit. How can I, um, how can I engage the Holy Spirit in my life? So we just had a real heart-to-heart -heart about trusting Jesus, beginning that process. Um, I feel like that's the moment she really gave her life to Christ. She was, she was baptized a few weeks later, um, and she just really started digging into faith. Um, she still had a lot of the same struggles. You know, these things don't just happen overnight. But um, it was that recognition and she would say it now, and I think even her brothers would testify that the Spirit did change her dramatically, just in her relationships more than anything else from that moment on. I think it was, you said around fourth grade or so is when things really begin to shift in the area of friendships with girls. Um, what were some of the important moments that, were, that you remember happening to her during this time? 
Well, in fourth grade, she had a really traumatic experience. Um, something very public and embarrassing happened to her. And um, she had two, two really powerful influences in that fourth grade class. One was her teacher, who, um, who was very uh, aware um, of Hannah's struggle. Her teacher felt marginalized as well and um, saw Hannah in that way and just really started pouring into her and created a book club for the girls in the class during um, lunch. And that was really pivotal. Uh, Hannah started, she loved to read, so that was kind of fun for her. And she started talking with some of the girls. But one girl in particular, um, her name was Gabby. She's, she's still friends with Hannah. Um, so in fourth grade, she was a Christian and was able to um, just kind of go against the grain of everybody in her class and treat Hannah with complete compassion and love, included her in, in things just as she was um, with guys and girls. Um, she was just a really, really powerful friend um, in Hannah's school experience in New Jersey. Then we moved here in the fifth grade, and Hannah didn't, ch- you know, I was kind of hoping, oh, we're going to move, we're going to start anew, someplace new, she can start over. Um, she didn't really change. Um, as far as her presentation, her, how she looked or how she dressed. Um, but we had a friend here who, um, who did the same thing, just said, I don't care what you look like, Hannah. I don't care what you, um, what you like, what you do. Um, come join me in everything. I mean, she just, from the very first moment we stepped foot here, started including her. And to this day, as her best friend was the maid of honor in her wedding, um, was, is just a powerful force in her life, even though they are polar opposites, even still. Um, she just loved Hannah where she was. Really cool. And there were still kind of the reality of the spiritual struggle and temptations. I think in sixth grade, you mentioned this, this negative situation with a friend that ended up actually really impacting Hannah in a profound way. Um, could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so... Once she she got to middle school, now um, she's starting to experience a lot more um, peer pressure um, in in different ways, just like all of you have. Um, But in, uh, I I think it was in the seventh grade, that she was was pursued by a girl um, in a romantic way. And this um, kind of freaked her out. She was not interested in relationships in any way. Um, so she didn't understand why this was happening, um, and she realized it was just because of the way she presented herself that, um, that that's why that this, this had happened, and she started having nightmares about it, and um, she came to me asking me. Um, this was a pivotal for us as well in our relationship is that she said, I, want, I don't want, um, I don't want to present myself in a way that dishonors God in any way, um, she didn't want to change her look. It's just, I feel like this is spiritual oppression. That's these night terrors that she was having. And so um, we just spent some time praying and talking through, um, kind of imagining. This is, I mean, Courtney tells me this is a psychological principle. But <laughs> uh, kind of imagining a different ending to this recurring nightmare she was having. And, um, and, and it, the, God did the work to, to stop it from happening. And it seemed like from that point on, um, she really started to soften in her kind of, she just took so much identity in how she dressed before. Now it was, 
I'm just going to present myself in a, in a way that honors God. Rewriting yeah. the script. Yeah. <laughs> That's what <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so how did her faith begin to shape how she addressed the struggle? Like a, as we're seeing her faith grow and deepen and mature, she's beginning to kind of deal with the struggle differently. And how did that, how did that help her? Yeah, I think faith um, was everything. Faith was, was the most important element in, in her life. Um, it started, she went to two different camps, that church camps that um, were very, very impactful to her. Um, I think both of them gave her this opportunity. One was for a lot longer time. That she went the first time when she was in the, um, going into the eighth grade. And she spent three weeks away from us. And for the first time, she was really challenged with um, just who she was going to be and how she was going to live apart from the family. And um, she just began to see the importance of surrender um, to Jesus, but but living in a community where everyone is loved and accepted, um, not based on anything else except identity in Christ. And this, is, this started to really change how she saw her identity um, moving forward. And then youth group was really important to her. Um, I mean, I know I'm talking to you guys. Um, most, I hope some of you already know this, but um, this can be a very safe place for you to build really strong and meaningful relationships in your life. Hannah had um, just an amazing experience. We didn't go to this church when... She was in high school, um, but my boys sat in your seats and had the same thing here. I mean, um, their closest friends still are their friends who they made here in youth group. So that was just a place for her to, um, to change and grow and to be accepted and loved. And then, you know, I would say from that point on, especially when she went into college, just her dependence on Christ grew more and more to where... Uh, you know, it's, and, it, and this is a struggle for all of us. I mean, still a struggle for me, and I know it is going to be for you if it's not already. Of just having to die to yourself, you not getting to call all the shots in your life. I mean, you think you know what makes you happy, and I can assure you it'll change um, because God, God changes your heart and your desires the more you press into and surrender to him. So I think that's, that was true of her life for sure. So tell us about Hannah now. So I wish I could have her up here. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, she didn't want me to show any pictures of her, but um, Hannah is just a beautiful person uh, inside and out. It really has nothing to do with her outward appearance, but um, she's so comfortable in who she is now. And, and I think that she really is glad that she had this struggle in her life. Um, because it's made her um, just comfortable in her own skin like very few people her age are and I never was I mean I'm still working on that and I'm 48 years old and I, th I feel like she's way surpassed me um, but she got married last summer and um, this was just probably one of the most powerful moments in my life especially the couple of friends that were there at the wedding who knew Hannah when she was young I mean, I told you at two, she swore never to wear a dress. So, I mean, she told me this very point blank. And so I never even imagined her wearing a wedding dress. I always thought of her getting married in, in pants, quite honestly. 
and um, she was the most beautiful bride. She wanted to wear, she wore this dress that was so perfect for her. It was not over the top. Um, it was really, really sweet, that moment to see her coming down the aisle. But the cool part is that, um, so her husband, his favorite song is Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And she wanted to, she wanted to come down the aisle to that song, not only because it was his favorite song, but because in that moment, you know, for you girls in the room, I know you probably have thought about it once or twice, where all the eyes are on you and, and this is your moment to shine. Um, Hannah wanted that to be true, but she wanted the song to be encouraging everyone to turn their eyes upon Jesus in that moment, to look in his wonderful face. And so, you know, I was bawling. Isaiah, her husband, was bawling. Many of the people in the audience were. It was very, it was very moving to me to, to go full circle with her. Um, to, see, to see her in that day was just beautiful. So, but so much, of, so much else of her life has, you know, just is such a, such a joy to, to witness. Um, she, um, so she's in grad school studying social work and social policy, and um, what she does is help, uh, right now in her internship, she helps immigrants who are coming into Philadelphia um, from all different countries, but she um, she's studied Spanish at Texas A&M, and so she's fluent in Spanish, and so her big, big part is to work with Latin American immigrants, um, helping them just to pursue legal citizenship, most of them, um, she just she pours out her life um, for them, and so recently she had this article written about her, about uh, one of the women that she helped, just saying um, what a joy it was to um, feel seen and heard and loved by this girl who was my daughter, who was a person who needed to feel that when she was growing up, and she was able to turn around and and give that not because of her, but because of the grace of God that was pouring out of her life, you know, in these tangible ways. This was, it was really, really a powerful moment. Very cool. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we talked about kind of how, and you referenced it earlier, just how this, how this issue is being dealt with in today's climate. And so I think kind of at the end of our talk that day at my house, I said, okay, what would it be like for you to walk through this struggle in today's climate? Because I think what you see in her story is, her walking with her daughter through this, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to whitewash this. I mean, I, you mentioned I did not do everything perfect, mm -hmm. but I think not trying to be too heavy-handed with making her into what you thought was this kind of feminine stereotype, um, but also not saying, you know, well, let's go the route of letting you become a boy. Um, you kind of were in this in-between place of praying, continuing to put her. Um, you know, in biblical community and walking this out with her, what do you think it would look like today um, in terms of pressure if you would have walked through that today? Yeah, I think the pressure would just be totally different. Uh, and, and Hannah said the same. Uh, she said um, that she can't imagine being told, everybody around her telling her, just be who you want to be because she would tell you now, she had no idea who she wanted to be. She was, she was struggling through that. She was, um, she was finding her way. Um, and the last thing she needed was to be told, 
that she knew what was going on because she didn't. And so the pressure around her would have been different, but definitely the pressure around me. I, I felt the pressure in New Jersey in a, in a different way, but um, for everyone to be telling me that the only way I could handle this would be to let her, um, let her go ahead and change at a young age, I think would have been horribly devastating to, to all of us. Um, because I think she would be a very miserable person right now if she had been um, allowed to make that change. And she's very, and she wanted me to say that to you. Tell them how happy I am in my life now, how genuinely happy I am um, as a wife and living out um, my walk with the Lord in a way that's authentic. She said, that just means everything to me. And so she, she was also very emotional saying how much she's thankful for the people in her life and the church family that we had and just for, for all of us, my, my husband and me and my two sons, just loving her as she was, loving her through that. So what are some important things that we need to understand as believers? I mean, we've got someone here on the stage that's walked through this with their child. Um, what do you think in terms, maybe it's encouraging parents or... Um, you know, many of y'all know people in your classrooms that are identifying in this way. What would you have to say to us about that? Um, I mean, I think I was so glad that I got to be here last week. I think Courtney did a great job of walking us through kind of where, I, where our identity um, is found. But the truth is, and you know this, that we all struggle with our identity. We all struggle with it apart from Christ, and then we all struggle with the decision, are we going to put our, the whole weight of our identity into following Christ? This is normal. This, is, this shouldn't be some shocking thing that people are struggling with their identity. We're all doing it, and so we need to be um, very gracious um, with the fact that this, is, um, that this is the same struggle that you are going through at any point in time. And the problem is that we are not good <laughs> at knowing what's, what's best for us. I mean, I think one of my favorite passages, I probably talk about it more than any other in women's ministry, is um, this passage in Jeremiah 17, where Jeremiah is prophesying to God's people, his chosen people, and he tells them the heart is deceitful above all things. That's the first thing he said. So guess what? You can deceive yourself. You can think that you're, that you think something really, really strongly, and you can be dead wrong because your heart is deceitful and then he said also the heart is desperately sick who can understand it and I think that describes the human condition better than any other verse that we're all we all know that something is just not as it should be from a, a pretty young age and you're you're struggling you're trying to figure out what is that and and I think um, if we could all just engage in that together and and realize that it's okay to talk about these struggles um, as opposed to it's a loving thing to do to just accept whoever anybody thinks they want to be. We should realize, you know what? None of us really knows what we want to be. And the only person that can really define that for us is Christ. And so we need a lot of space to just engage in that conversation with our friends and our peers and a lot of grace to be extended. Um, to accept the, the genuine angst that you have, be vulnerable with it, and then ex experience that with, the, with your peer who may be really struggling with gender identity 
let that be a, a safe, you should be a safe person. If you're ever going to, I always say this too, if you're ever going to share good news with somebody, you need to be good news to them. If you're not good news to them when you walk in the door or you're in the conversation with them, if you, they don't experience anything good from you, then they're never going to want to hear anything good you might have to say. Um, and so um, I think that is a huge need. But then finally, we need to be able to speak the truth in love. So first thing would be you, bet, you need to know what the truth is for you. I mean, truth is truth. Truth is a person, Jesus Christ. He said, I am the truth. And so you need to know him. But then you need to know what he said is true and decide if you believe it or not. And then if you, when you do, you should speak that to your friends in love, not in, not beating them over the head with it, but speak it in love. There's this verse, another verse talks about deceiving yourself. Galatians 6, 2 and 3 it says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anything, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And you're like, what? What does that mean? If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Well, first it tells you you can deceive yourself and you can think that you're something that you're not. And that you really need other people to bear the burden with you to help you see yourself clearly. Um, and this was Hannah's story. It was just being in, in community and relationship with other Christians that helped her to find her identity solely in Christ and not in her physical um, being. Now, this is not saying, because Courtney talked about this a lot, that you have to se separate the two. You know, she didn't separate the two. She knows that she is an embodied um, soul. And so she carries herself in a way now that is very, very neutral. I mean, she... She's not girly in any way. She's not over-the-top girly, but she's also um, not masculine. She, she, she has a very unique um, persona uh, that she carries herself in in her body, but she makes clear to everyone. And she's up in, she's at, at University of Pennsylvania, which is a very liberal school, um, and she loves being there. She loves being in that environment with people pressing on her in all kinds of different areas, and she loves to engage in conversations with people about gender and sexuality and identity um, because she feels like it's real there. there. There's Every idea and opinion is, is there, and she's, she can be in truly uh, transparent uh, conversations. And so um, I just think um, I would just leave you with that, that, that you can be a light, um, to, to your peers by sharing the who you are in Christ above all else. That, that defines you more than your sport, the sport you love or the music that you play or the, you know, your passion for, for the arts. Um, that in all of those things, you display your identity in Christ first and foremost. Thank you so mm -hmm. much. I really yeah. appreciate it. Guys, can we thank Amy for... We're doing that today. That is not an easy story to share, and I really appreciate it. I mean, I can see just the emotion that that, that takes a lot out of someone to share that, so really appreciate that. Um, we don't have a whole lot of time, and I know this is a long shot, but I did want to open up if anybody, it might be adults or someone, has any questions at all. It might be about last week's talk or today. Um, 
there are some leaders or adults in the room. I just wanted to open the floor to anybody that might want to ask a question. If not, it's no problem. We will stop. Um, but I did, I did want to offer it to you guys in case y'all did have any questions at all. Anybody? I always, I always tell people you got to have some silence, uncomfortable silence. Amy's really good at uncomfortable silence. I kind of get a little twitchy, but so we're gonna sit here for just a few seconds. <laughs> we're gonna you. count it out I'm in our head. Turn my back. Everyone <laughs> has a question. Okay, so she asked if Hannah ever struggled not only with gender identity, but with same-sex attraction specifically. Yeah, so for in Hannah's case, she did not experience same-sex attraction. She, she has never expressed that to me a specific, a specific time um, of, of experiencing that. That being said, many, many of my friends, I myself, um, in different ways, um, have struggled with types of same-sex attraction. Um, so I don't minimize it in any way in her case. It's just that in hers, it was, it was separated. Gender identity was the issue. Um, and I think all of that was occurring. Like Courtney said, this was a different kind of, of gender dysphoria than what you're seeing with rapid onset, which is all related to sexuality and to being, uh, not all related, but I just mean it, the pressure of sexual um, orientation is so strong. This was happening to her pre-pubescent time, and she just, that just wasn't on her radar at all. Um, and it didn't happen for a while. I mean, much, when she, closer to like her freshman year in high school when that started to be on her mind. I hope that answered the question. Mm -hmm. Anyone else? Nate? That's a great question. Um, I'm going to try to repeat it. Yeah, so Nate asked um, that a lot of people who are struggling with gender identity or sexual identity are turned off very, very quickly with any mention of Jesus or the church, um, and that just shuts the conversation down, and I think you're, make sure I said this right, how would we start the conversation, uh, the gospel presentation in a way that would be more effective, engaging? Is that, is that good? Um, that's a great question, and definitely, definitely um, something I experienced a lot um, in the Northeast uh, where this topic is very difficult. And the thing that I would try to do the most is try to identify with, with people's struggles. If people are genuinely struggling because life is not working as it's supposed to work you know and it, this is kind of the definition of of sin sin broke um, this perfect um, relationship with God and this perfect relationship with other people and people are struggling with that like they are just feeling empty feeling purposeless can't get along with their parents can't get along with other um, peers um, they're looking for meaning in in all kinds of pursuits and find coming up empty 
So I always try to relate. I always try to identify with the struggle first and, and share that, say, I, I, I so feel that too. Like, I, this world is so messed up and so broken. Relationships um, are messed up. You never want to get onto a, um, a spiel um, about something apart from you. You want to keep it as absolutely personal as you can. And so for me, the gospel is, so when I'm struggling, when I can't figure out what's going on in the world, the only place that I've turned, that I've found any relief or any help is the truth that God presents to me in his word. Um, so there was this time in the Bible where Peter was like really, really pressured. Um, and, and so were all the apostles to turn away from Jesus because he said, if you want to be, follow me, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And everybody around him was like, that's gross. That's ridiculous. How could you possibly say that? And so, so Jesus looked at Peter and said, what are you going to do? Are you going to, you going to leave too? Cause a whole bunch of people left, like they were following Jesus. And then they just said, can't do it anymore. That's too messed up too hard. And Peter looked at him and said, where else am I going to go? You're the only person who has words that actually speak into my life. And so I use that phrase a lot with people. I say, you know, it doesn't make sense. A lot of it doesn't make sense, and people have abused it in so many ways. But there's been no other source that I've ever found. And I've read a lot, and I've seen a lot. Nothing that speaks into my heart to give me any kind of peace or any sense of purpose than the message of God. And I don't go into what that is yet. I just keep trying to say that over and over, that that is where I find my peace and then keep gauging in the conversation until they ask me. It's kind of my approach. Until somebody asks me why, what does it do? What, what hope? I mean, you know, then I might be specific, but I will reserve that for a long time in a gospel presentation. I know that's maybe not super um, formulaic for you guys, but I don't think it is ever formulaic. And I think if you ever try to make it that way, that's what turns people off super fast. Yeah, I think it also, you having an awareness of your own sin and brokenness and how Jesus has met you there and saved you from that creates a posture in you where you're not going to someone saying, you need the gospel, you need to hear the truth, you're in error, you're wrong but you have allowed the gospel to break you and humble you and make you realize how y'all are on the same level. (laughs) You've just been saved by grace. And that will change your posture when you approach people. And I think that is so important is that if the gospel is just a bunch of rules and morality and this is just what my family does, we go to church, this is what we do, then you're going to come at that person with just a list of rules and morals. Well, that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't be that way. God says that's wrong. And that's not good news. And that person will walk out the door and go, peace out. I don't want this anymore. And so when you have been affected by the gospel and you realize what, it's Jesus. Jesus is knocking on the door. Knock and you shall. (laughs) So I I think that that's really important is just humility. So anybody else? (laughs) Yeah, so... He was asking how I would deal with the culture now. It was so different. Um, 
before. Yeah, I've thought about it a lot. I don't know um, for sure how I would have handled it as a mom. I mean, I have this unique perspective now. I mean, honestly, now I can say that this transformation in my daughter is one of the most powerful things I've ever witnessed Jesus do in a life. And so I feel like I, I have to share the testimony. Um, and it, now I have this perspective, so I feel like I can engage in, in this culture now and say, look, I know the pressure is, is real. I know, I know you think that this is the only answer, but let me tell you the story of this transformation in my daughter's life and tell you what a tragedy it would have been for her to, to, to change genders too early. And maybe we could all just take a minute and think, give it some space and some time before we make these decisions. And that's where I engage parents now anyway, is just imploring them to wait and not to let the, pre the, the culture tell them, you have to do it right now. Um, it's the only way you're going to, you know, do any good for your child. Um, I just think that's, that's just crazy. That's just not true. That would not have been true for her. And so um, I engage that way. But if I was a parent, it's just so hard. You feel so lost. You don't know what to do in those moments. And I definitely felt that. That's why I was in counseling for most of her life because I just needed help to just try to make sense of how to engage her in a way that was meaningful. And, th and that would still be true today. You know? All right, we're done. We got to end up. We got to end. So thank you so much. If, you, if anyone does have any questions, please feel free to come up to Amy and, and talk to her afterwards. Um, and thanks so much. Next week is the Christmas party. So, all right. Thank you. Thank you, guys. See you later.